Well, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson with you and a special episode this week because this episode in its entirety is produced by our summer intern, Valley Weiss. And so props to her. Um, and really, it's just our opportunity to unload some work on her. So that's great uh, for us as well. But she's done an amazing job putting this together. So as I often do, a little bit of what is coming up later in the show. For our inbox, we have a listener who's wondering what to do when you find yourself developing a crush on someone, but you're already in a serious relationship. So what does this look like? One of our counselors is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, we have professional counselor Rob Jackson to talk about the complexities of navigating religious trauma. So this is through the church, through Christian leaders. Obviously, we've seen this blow up publicly lately, but what does this mean for you and your local church and how you engage with it? So, and really, how do you grow and heal um, after? experiencing that. So stay tuned. Uh, now we are here for our round table and we have got the fabulous Grace Emerson and Megan here. Hey guys. Hey. Good to have you here. And uh, we're going to talk about, I. <laughs> this is a good topic. Um, actually, the way that Valley put it is, I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> Which is, it's kind of, we're going to talk about this in the context of career and calling and kind of especially, you know, she has to finish out a year of school still. And so I think in my conversations with her, she's determined that she kind of knows what she wants to do, at least on a macro scale. So that's good. But a lot of us, I mean, we have experiences where whether it's in college, you change your major, or you've done a job for like, you know, four days, and you're like, I don't think so. I don't know. And all of a sudden you're freaking out. Um, so let's talk about this a little bit because there's, you know, for those of us who are going to work for a long time, which currently all like millennials and Gen Z is your entire lives at this point. So just be ready for it. Um, Great. <laughs> you've heard the doomsday <laughs> reports of no retirement for you. Yep. Um, no, that's not necessarily that bad. Um, there's hope in this. But at the same time, long careers what does it look like to maybe have a career crisis, a feeling like there might be something else I want to do or I want to pivot or I want to change entirely. So we're going to have this conversation around that. So, okay, let's start out by kind of talking through a little bit of our experience in this space. And Grace, we're going to start with you because you also are one of our interns this summer in social media here at, uh, at Focus on the Family. And so I heard, you're going to have to tell me if this is true, that you changed your major in school and you still, you're done now, right? You graduated? I have one year left. Oh, you still so have a year? I still have a year. Oh my goodness. Okay. Because my, I heard that you changed your major already like 77 times or something, but give us the true scoop on this and what does For that look sure. like? Yeah. So I just finished my junior year at Baylor and I've changed my major five times. Okay. But I'm still going to graduate Officially changed? Is officially that changed. Like, like officially. Your administrators are exhausted. I know. My poor okay. advisors. Yeah. Like, thank goodness for them. But I have been all over the board um, just trying all the things. I think my biggest journey has just been trying to find that correlation between what am I passionate about, but also like how has God gifted me? Mm-hmm. I think at the beginning of college, it was like, oh, I really know what I'm passionate about, but I don't know what I'm good at. Yeah. So started with like public policy and pre-law and was like, wow, like I want to fight for people and like make a difference. Really quickly realized that was not in the skill set that God has given me. So changed gears to child and family settings cared a lot about working with kids with special needs and advocating for children and adoption and just like knew that that was something God placed in my heart but also like through that process I learned so much like I'm so thankful for that experience but was also like wow like I am afraid of working in a hospital I don't handle that kind of stress well like mm-hmm. oh my gosh what do I do totally had a crisis moment of like I've already changed my major how could I change my major again but then since then like the Lord is really like opened a lot of doors and so then changed to communication then was like wow I love calm but I want to do design I think it's fun got to do graphic design and calm together and now I'm doing digital media so it's just slowly <laughs> and slowly getting closer and closer I feel to, like that's a refining it's not yeah. now you're not getting you know if if by your senior year you know you're deciding that you're going to go into like sports management or something then we're gonna have to be, be concerned but um <laughs> I okay I see a refining there that's encouraging mm-hmm. okay good thoughts mm-hmm. Emerson how about you because I don't see you doing exactly what you got trained in so yeah I'm actually wearing the shirt that I got my master's in engineering and technology management 
Okay, which um, none of us even know what that is. That's so, okay. Like, okay. <laughs> that is totally okay. Okay. And my undergrad was in mechanical engineering. Okay. Uh, and so I got a job straight out of college as a project engineer, mm-hmm. but kind of similar to this this refining process. I think that's going to be crucial to how we structure this conversation mm-hmm. today. Is like it is a refining process. The Lord is refining you in His fire like gold, mm-hmm. and He's He's making you more and more into what He wants you to be, which is more like Him. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So through this process, I started as a project engineer, but through a series of events, the Lord brought me here to focus on the family and changed my heart uh, to desire Him and His His gospel advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, so through that through that process, uh, I ended up doing kind of semi what I what I got to do with my management job. But it's really cool to just see how God takes the tools and the things that uh, He trains you to be good at and uses it for His glory. Awesome, Megan. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Yeah, I think going into college, something I struggled with was finding like my passion. And that's something I think has been a theme in my life. I've never been a super passionate person. So that was really stressful in college. So I was trying to approach it very like pragmatically of like, what are my skill sets? Like, what could I see myself doing? Um, So I had a very short stint in a nursing major, quickly realized you have to be really dedicated to be a nursing major. So then I switched to general studies for a bit while I was trying to figure it out. And then I went to forensic science because I love science, I still love science, loved the major, um, but eventually reached a point where I didn't feel like peace about the career. Mm-hmm. So then I had a panic moment, called my dad, freaking out, because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to do forensic science, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Um, and then I switched to ASL and interpretation, and that was just because I had learned ASL in high school a bit, loved the language, had a desire to be more fluent in that and engage with that more. So I just kind of ran with that. I was that for two years. And then I had another panic moment in my senior year of college, where after having learned the language and loving that and starting learning interpreting, I was freaked out, didn't feel peace about that either, because interpreting was just not what I expected it to be. But I eventually just merged all of the areas I had studied into an interdisciplinary degree, which basically you can just divide your degree into three areas of study. So I just chose science and language and biblical studies, which I had minored in throughout all of that, and made a hodgepodge of a degree and got out on time. Mm -hmm. And it really worked because I felt like validated in that. I like a lot of things, but I'm not all in on one thing. So Mm -hmm. I felt very seen through that degree. Mm -hmm. And that's been really, really nice. Yeah. Okay. So how do you and Megan, maybe you can start off with this answer since you just alluded to this. How do you craft a job direction out of that? (laughs) So, I mean, that seems like you've either got everything open to you or not a lot. Or, you know, again, you know, Emerson, in your case, you have to be creative because some people will think, well, you're an engineer, so you just need to do engineering. So there's some element of you have to be creative in pitching yourself. Um, You know, Grace, even in your situation, I mean, you probably there there are going to be hiring managers who don't even know what digital media is. So you're going to have to tell your own tale. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about how you're thinking in your head on a career trajectory crafting what you will become with the skills you have yeah i think that's something i'm still figuring out Mm -hmm. um me too yeah Yeah. because like you said my degree is random things that don't even correlate with each other and the job i'm working now doesn't correlate with any of those three things um so i think post-college i was kind of stressed about what my future held career-wise, you know, because I just worked for four years and I felt really great about being able to get a degree and like leave on time. But then I had moments where I was doubting, like, is this even going to benefit me? Am I even going to be able to like use this in a way that I need? But I think what's helped me is realizing I've never been a big career-driven person. Like I've never had like, I want to have a big job. I want to rise through the ranks. I want to, you know, get all the promotions and all this stuff, I think the only thing that I felt pretty sure about is that in the future, I would like to be a mom and homeschool my kids, which is the way I grew up. And so that gave me a sense of peace, which not everyone's going to have that. But knowing that I didn't have to worry too much about that, like there will be a period of time where I'll be working. But once we like start having a family, I can just leave all that behind. So that was a nice cop out for me. Um, But I think one thing I realized, because I've had a variety of different jobs is just how important like interpersonal skills are like communication skills being able to learn quickly and I think that's one thing my degree gave me is like it shows that I was able to learn very different things but well enough to be able to graduate with them 
So that has served me really well. I've worked in coffee shops and like kitchens and just being able to like work well on a team, super valuable anywhere, being able to lead well, valuable anywhere. Like there's a lot more than like tactile skills that you can learn in any career. Mm -hmm. You don't really necessarily need that training in some areas. But what does matter more is you as a person and like Mm -hmm. how you communicate with your boss, how you lead people, how you pick up the slack when someone's slacking off, like how you... You know, all those general people skills are so much more valuable. At least that's what I've seen. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I would agree with a lot of those things. And also just getting to think about, too, like the Lord is the one who prepares your steps before you. Even thinking about for me of like, like I just said, I've changed my major so many times. I've only really been pursuing digital media for the past, what, like six, seven months. But every job opportunity the Lord's given me in the past five years has been related to social media. And I've never sought that out. And just getting to see the like the Lord plays such an important role in paving the way for you. And so I think even just in looking about like, where am I going to go in the future of like, maybe that's social media, if that's the doors that God keeps opening for me, but also realizing like he opened all those doors before I had any experience or like any even interest in that. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm thinking about like, oh, like what kind of job am I going to get? I'm more just concerned with like what doors are going to open for me. Like I'm going to continue to seek the Lord and continue to pursue whatever he's placed in my heart like today and whatever he places on my heart tomorrow and just knowing that like he's gonna pave the way for that I think has been something that's been really really helpful for me yeah that's good I do think that the whole idea behind you know we're so easy to pigeonhole ourselves into an actual job description but there are so many traits and skills and whatever experiences that do translate across a number of them. And sometimes it's just telling the story around that. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Um, Emerson, maybe you can speak to that a little bit, you know, being, you know, you're not building bridges or whatever, literally, but maybe figuratively. So yeah, talk a little bit about what, how you're utilizing really what you've been able to develop in the role you're in now. Yeah. So I believe scripture when it tells me that God is sovereign and that he has a plan for my life and it's good and it's to bring glory to his name. So I trust that everything he's putting me through, that he's giving me skills for, has a purpose and has a reason behind it. And that's for his glory and for my good, right? So although engineering isn't direct, I'm not directly building bridges, there are skills there that I learned, right? You you mentioned interpersonal skills. I, I learned presentation skills, I learned a lot about technology. And, and guess what? Now I'm talking about how how AI or how, how different technologies can be used to advance ministry in the gospel. And so I would encourage anyone who's in a position that where they feel like they're not using their degrees or not using their skills to get creative with it, to mm-hmm. think about the things that you've learned and maybe how you can apply it in your current workspace. Megan, working at a ministry, obviously your biblical studies degree is going to be so relevant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your digital, like you're, in, there's a reason why you're an intern with social media, right? There's there's so many skills that you guys have learned across across your, your entire life that you could apply. Mm-hmm. Um, I, did you mention um, sign language or? Yes. That's super ASL, cool. American Sign Language. Yeah. For so who missed that. as an example, maybe you could, you could look into like becoming a, the sign language interpreter during a presentation or something, mm-hmm. if there's a deaf member in the crowd or something like that, right? Like yeah. I would encourage just you to just get creative with how you think about your life as worship to God and how you can use your skills to, to do mm-hmm. that. So in so a follow-up question to that that I'd love to hear your thoughts on everyone is how much when it comes to pivoting or getting creative or whatever how much of that is straight up muscle like I've got to I've got to make this happen I've got to pave the road I've got to you know convince so and so that I can do this even though I don't have this on paper or whatever or this skill will cross over or I want to take a risk and try this versus waiting around for and relying on opportunities to do that. I think that's a big question, especially for a lot of young adults, is how much do I need to put into it versus trusting God? We talk about this in terms of dating all the time here at Boundless. Like, mm-hmm. I want to trust God, but don't I need to do something? Okay, apply that to your search for a calling and a career. What does that look like for you? Ooh, that is a yeah, it's it's question. our responsibility, God's sovereignty, right? That's yeah. the bell, right? Is it like a 70-30? Is it a 30? <laughs> you know, yeah. where do we where do we go with that? Because some people, yep. some of it's personality of people just, you know, are, are more likely to, oh, I'm a little fearful, so I'm just going to hang back and wait. And other people err on the other side of trying to do too much on their own and trying to force mm-hmm. whether it's God's hand or an employer's hand or both end. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a very interesting question. I think it's... There's no like direct clear answer, but I think 
what at least first comes to mind for me is like no matter what breakup of that there is it's like what's most important is like no matter what you're doing do it all for the glory of god in your work in your studies in your career choices glorify the lord that is your goal um but then also to just have discernment be seeking the lord in all your choices if you're in communication with the lord if you're having intimate time with him like he will make clear to you whether this is something i'm leading you to whether this is something that you will be able to utilize for my ministry for my glory or if it's not he will make it very clear so i think sometimes people will like over spiritualize that a bit of like if the lord does not make it very clear to me that i need to go somewhere and be someplace then i'm not gonna go um and sometimes the lord does speak in that way in these big grand gestures for sure but i think also the Lord has given us wisdom and he's given us discernment as a gift. And that's another way that he speaks to us. So I think it's like a balance of both of like, I'm choosing to do what I think is right, given the wisdom that the Lord has blessed me with. But also I need to be in prayer and in discernment and in scripture and giving the Lord the space to speak against that or for that, if that is something that he needs to, you know, redirect me on or like convict me on. Um, So I think it's a a merging of both those worlds. But the direct proportions, I can say. (laughs) Just a healthy meld. I think there's something so refining about an application process of just getting to trust the Lord of like, I don't know what direction he wants me to go, but let me pursue these like five different things and just trusting that the Lord will open and close doors for you. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you do have to make a decision and you have options that you have to choose between. But I think even just thinking about this summer and like, oh, what did I want to do? I probably applied for 20 things. And then the Lord opened like three or four doors and then I got to pursue those and ask friends and family. I think like take people's advice who know you well, like don't try to make all decisions by yourself. Like, yes, don't lean too heavily on people too much. But at the same time, like if you have trusted people in your life, don't be afraid to ask them for their advice because most likely they want the best for you. And so I think just like seeking advice, seeking the Lord and not being afraid to put yourself out there because sometimes the answer is no and that's what you need to know. It's like, oh, I'm going to try this thing. Well, that clearly didn't work and that's the clarity that I needed. But clarity is good whether it's good or bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I lean more on the side of do it. Like mm-hmm. if you're struggling with do I do it, do I not do it? I, I, there are three categories. I usually try to run things through like first, can I do it? If I can't, then that's <laughs> it's out of there. Yeah. Uh, and then – is it, is it biblical? Is it God-honoring, deliberately God-honoring? And then is it wise? Mm-hmm. And if it's all three of those things, go do it. Yeah. Like if you have this idea that would be fantastic for the ministry, go do it mm-hmm. uh, or for your company or or whatever it is. If it's like, oh, I don't know about starting this Bible study at work. I'm really not sure. It's like, go do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, if it's this job application process, right? You put it out there, you pray over it, you trust the Lord, but mm-hmm. uh I know I just gave this whole speech on God's sovereignty, <laughs> but I do think that uh, the Lord changes our hearts to become very active members of ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And that is, you know, again, getting objective counsel as well of like, you know, if I if I walked out today and said, you know, I think I'm really meant to be an astronaut. Um, someone better tell me that that's probably not true um, because that's going to derail me for a certain amount of time. So again, finding something that you have an aptitude for, you know, adding to Emerson's list here. Um, And then also, what do you have an opportunity to do? Because you can't go around just kicking down doors that aren't open to you and just being, you know, super rogue and kamikaze on stuff. You know, again, (laughs) God does use opportunities and circumstances also to direct our paths. So, okay, so finally here, just we just have like a, a minute or so so I'd love to hear thoughts on this anytime you pivot or you make a decision whether it's changing your major five times whether it's going into a different career whatever you're going to give up some things and you're going to gain some things even the lag time even the deciding of what do I do you know maybe now you're not using some training maybe now you had to give up you took a pay cut maybe off of your first or second job or whatever how do you weigh those pros and cons? How do you weigh the gains and the losses against one another and have the courage to move forward? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, it definitely comes down to some personal experience and uh, personal weight on your heart and hopefully prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recommend seeking counsel. Uh, I remember when I switched from my project engineering job to a ministry position that paid a lot less. I had two pastors talking into my life at that time that I, I would call and, and I'd say, hey, 
this might change how I interact with our church or, hey, you're an engineer in the ministry. How, what do you think I should do in, in this pivot? Um, they can help you apply proper weight to these situations. Uh, I think especially as a young person, we might not be assigning the right weight to things because mm-hmm. uh, we don't have the personal experience sometimes uh, to do that. So uh, seek counsel. That'd be, that'd mm-hmm. be my answer. That's good. Yeah. I would also encourage you to determine like what category are the pros and cons. And let me explain that. If the cons are like all physical things, such as pay decrease, a longer commute, like all these things that are very practical and like not necessarily appealing to the fleshly eye, let's say. But if all the pros are like, I have more passion for this job, I have more excitement, I think I'll be able to be better equipped to do ministry, to share the gospel. It's more in my giftings. If those are the things that you're gaining from this new position, I think that's kind of where you should lean. Like, I think you should act more on those, the spiritual aspects than you should the physical aspects of, of money and those elements. Totally. I think my one other thought I have too is something that I struggled with so much in changing my major was being afraid that the time that I had spent was time wasted. But just remembering too that no time that like God has orchestrated for you has been wasted time. And even just now looking back of like everything that I've learned has impacted me so much, even if I don't use it in my career, mm-hmm. even if I never touch my like child and family studies knowledge or my pre-law knowledge, like that wasn't wasted time. Like just because I changed didn't invalidate that. Mm-hmm. And it's going to impact me because I think that's something that can be such a stumbling block of like, if I change now, then like what were the last two years or three years or five years? But they were all valuable and orchestrated by the Lord. So I just think, like, don't let that be a stumbling block if, like, what you're saying, like, if Mm -hmm. the changes, like, if the pros outweigh the cons, go for it. That doesn't invalidate what you've already done. Hmm. Great thoughts, you guys. I know I'm encouraged. So thanks for weighing in with this. And maybe we'll check in in a few years and see where God has directed Mm -hmm. you all. So thanks for contributing. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. folks. Well, we are here for this week's culture segment. And as I said at the top of the show, this has all been produced by our summer intern, Valley Weiss. And so props to her for putting this together. Today for our culture, we are talking to our friend, Rob Jackson. Rob is a member of our counseling team here at Focus on the Family, albeit remotely. He's coming in today from Florida. Um, He is a licensed professional counselor. He's a life coach, uh, specializes in lots of forms of of uh, not only uh, personal development and growing past, present, future, but also what we're going to be talking to him about today, which is trauma, specifically religious trauma, healing from religious trauma as it relates to yourself personally, the church, church leadership and whatnot. So Rob, welcome to The Boundless Show. Thank you, Lisa, and thanks for this really important topic. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, one that's near and dear to our heart and that we know we need to dig into. So um, give us just, you know, you've been on The Boundless Show before in different contexts, but specifically give us a little bit of your background in ministry and then with Mm -hmm. this topic of religious trauma and how it became something that you have really, uh, you dive into with clients and beyond. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm like a lot of guys from the deep South. I was in church three times a week. And so it was always about church and vacation Bible school and Sunday school and uh, youth choir and so on. And 
I'm grateful that my parents as Christians, you know, had me in church, but we were in a very, in some ways, a very toxic background. There was a lot of religiosity. There was a lot of cultural Christianity, not much convictional Christianity. And so I grew up seeing all kinds of arguments around church life, not necessarily church splits, but lots of arguments. Uh, sometimes that would come into our own family. And in spite of that, you know, I think by faith, God redeemed me when I was eight. I tell people I probably didn't grow a lick until I was 35. I was very slow to start maturing in Christ. Uh, made a lot of mistakes in that period of my life. But I was intent on trying to be a good Christian. And some of that emphasis on good came out of the spiritual trauma of my own life. Because, you know, who is good but the Lord? We know that only Jesus is good. And I was, you know, trying to be good in my own human nature. So, yeah, I went into uh, preparation for the music ministry. I went to a, a Baptist college to get my degree and uh, would have been serving in churches, most likely. But I burned out with a severe case of panic disorder and had to pivot. So I wound up in counseling like like so many others. Hmm. Yeah. And give us a little bit of like, what um, what are you doing currently? I mean, you work in uh, some private practice, counseling clients. What right. are you seeing? I mean, would you say, um, well, actually, I want to back it up a little bit. I want you to give us a definition. It seems like a lot of times these days, even as we're chatting amongst friends or, or articles we read, reports we read in the news, the terms both trauma and abuse are kind of bandied about. Give us a, a good, right. solid definition of what, when we're talking about religious trauma, what are we talking about? And then give us maybe a specific example of what that could look like. Yeah. Well, I'm going to borrow this from Ken Blue. He has a fantastic book called Healing Spiritual Abuse. And he says spiritual abuse is the misuse of spiritual authority, power, or influence. And there the goal is to manipulate, control, or harm the individual. So this is going to look like legalism, authoritarianism, uh, emotional and psychological manipulation, and then, of course, if you don't go along to get along, there may be a loss of community and a loss of support. Mm. So it can be very, very painful. Now, I think it's important to acknowledge, however, whether we're talking about spiritual trauma or other types, we don't want to use the term flippantly and say everything is traumatic. Mm -hmm. You know, a person can get misunderstood. A person can even get their feelings hurt. It can all be, you know, unintentional. It is not necessarily vindictive and manipulative and so on. So we really want to focus on when that misuse is so proactive, especially coming from a spiritual authority. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this isn't, we're not talking about just someone disagreed with me at church. Exactly. And so, you know, I'm going to claim that. Okay, so I want to get back. I was moving in a direction here. And then I was like, hey, we need to define this. But why the uptick, would you say, in cases of this, or at least reported? I mean, I feel like we're seeing in the church community as a whole, um, here in the Western world, as well as elsewhere, you know, maybe much more because of reporting and social media right. incidents and people willing to talk. But why would you say this is becoming more prevalent and more talked about in our culture uh, within the church today? I think it's reflecting what's happening in the society at large. Everybody's got a camera on. Everybody is talking. Everybody's exposing things. Everybody is on social media. And so there's just a sense of, let's get this all out. Mm -hmm. And I think, to be fair, it's probably a pendulum swing from an earlier time when we didn't talk enough. Mm -hmm. We weren't addressing the issues. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to stop and realize there are some legitimate things that need to be said about spiritual trauma. Yeah. It doesn't need to be swept under the rug or pretend, pretend like it doesn't exist. We just have to be cautious in making sure that we're talking about it in a factual way. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we did kind of lay out a little bit of what it isn't. You know, it's not just disagreeing with a fellow church member or a church leader even. It's not right. just someone bumping up against your own sin and bruising you, you know, having, uh, you know, stuff like that. We we are in a church uh, worldwide of sinners who will not see, uh, you know, see completion and wholeness until we're with Jesus. But yeah. give us a couple examples. If you, if you think through some of the more prevalent forms of people who have been affected by religious trauma in particular, how is that manifesting itself, would you say? Well, this is a hybrid that I see quite a lot. I work with uh, people impacted by pornography and betrayal trauma. And so imagine a woman goes to her pastor and says, my husband is doing pornography or he's having an affair. You know, we would want to hear empathy We would want to see validation. We would want there to be active participation in helping right this wrong and bring restitution to the marriage, you know, reconciliation if possible. But instead, maybe the pastor or one of the spiritual leaders at the church says, you know, this is your fault. You could keep your husband home. Hmm. There was an occasion, for example, where a woman had a a similar experience, went and, and shared this with her pastor. And the next day, two wives of the pastors knocked on her door and handed her a box of lingerie. Mm. And so, you know, regardless of where their hearts were in this, that is just traumatic. That is not relevant. That is not realistic to what she's going through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely stories, uh, similar, similar things that I have heard as well. So would you say, I mean, you know, you talked about the misuse or, or the abuse of power or position or whatever, but is there some, I, I feel like church leaders, you know, maybe even lay leaders or sometimes uh, elders or deacons in a church, is there some of this in the way to deal with it that's just born out of ignorance? Um, but some of, I mean, but not that you could put up with that either. You know, not that right. we should just say, well, this is how right. it is, but but how do we properly approach that, especially like as a church, when we realize sometimes there just aren't the tools to address this correctly, but while at the same time saying, yeah, but there's actually some sin patterns at play here as well. Lisa, that's so important. I think one of the distinctions of spiritual trauma is not everyone who perpetrates that is intending to harm you. Whereas someone who beats you physically, they want to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Someone that harms you sexually is purposefully exploiting you. In terms of spiritual trauma, sometimes it does come out of ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, and this will be a personal story, but I was a kid, probably eight years of age. I had walked into our church training union class on a Sunday evening. That dates me if you're in the culture. <laughs> and, you know, there's about six or seven of us guys that are taught weekly by this old man. And every week he hands us our lesson that we're supposed to read. We'll take turns about reading in a circle and we're reading from the scriptures. And so this is right after Christmas and I walk in with my brand new Bible and it's my turn to read the scripture. And I read the verse from the living Bible, not knowing that this was actually going to be a King James only moment and me not knowing the difference between a translation and a paraphrase. My parents had just given me a new Bible, and I loved it. It was a great big green Bible with a gold Celtic cross emboldened on the front. I thought it was fantastic. And he said, boy, what are you reading from? Let me see that. And looking back, it was, it was really embarrassing, and I was caught off guard. It felt unfair, and I think it was traumatic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as an adult, I look back and I think, Thank God for that old man. Hmm. He was spending his Sunday evenings trying to help a bunch of us knuckleheaded boys. And so he was in there doing his best. So my feelings back then were really very painful. Now it's kind of bittersweet because I look on him with appreciation. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about, I I feel like there would be young adults listening who maybe are in a, what we would call a frog in the kettle situation of, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know if they're in an unhealthy church. They're assuming they're just going to trust their leaders, their pastors, whatever. What are some things both personally and corporately that we should be looking out for in the culture of a church to help determine 
is this something that I need to be aware of and, and do I need to start raising red flags? Like, for example, I know that the the abuse scandals uh, that have been rampant, you know, throughout the church, especially in certain denominations, calling out certain leadership, you know, very, very problematic. And it, it's taken a, a large amount of time and a number of specifically in some of these cases, women coming forward. But maybe a lot of these women were just like, well, I don't know. That's just, is, isn't that okay for them to speak to me in that way or say this or whatever? So what are some good signs uh, for people to look out for both personally and uh, around in their church? Yeah, well, it's going to be really important for us to very simply think, is this really the way Christ would approach this topic? Mm-hmm. Let's not get away from the person of Jesus Christ, even though we're in an American culture in 2023. And so if you're interacting with someone who's just fundamentally not safe, not supportive, chauvinistic, if if we've got a differential there, maybe someone who's talking down to younger people just because he or she is older, someone who's, you know, misusing the I will be your mentor card. Mm -hmm. You know, when someone comes up and appoints themselves to be your mentor, that might be a, a, a red flag you know, because they're Mm self-appointing. So it's just very subtle. And that's one of the problems. Like you'll kind of question, is that okay? Mm -hmm. And if you challenge it, there may be a little bit of pushback, sometimes even some gaslighting, and you'll feel like I'm losing my mind. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to maintain a big view of God where you look to the person of Jesus Christ. You're asking the Holy Spirit to help you in the moment. You're staying in the Word. You know, when you get upset with your pastor or your church, don't get upset with God. His own son, Jesus Christ, suffered the worst spiritual trauma of all. Mm -hmm. You know, put him on the cross. So we don't want to confuse God and the church. The church made up of fallen people like like the two of us. And so at that point, you know, you're thinking about, who can I share this with? I have to be discreet. You, you want to put this on paper, perhaps, so you can get clarity on paper, but please keep it off of social media. Do not put it out there. And if you're going to talk to two or three others, make sure that they're discreet and they have maturity and make sure that they love you and that person you're in conflict with. And they would only want the will of God to come out of it. You're not trying to rally your troops or get a posse to go after somebody. Mm-hmm. If it really comes down to it, you're talking about a Matthew 18 approach. Someone has offended you. You go to them one-on-one with an exception. If you have a pastor or a person of spiritual authority who has really exploited or controlled or manipulated or otherwise mistreated you, there's a power differential in authority. Mm -hmm. Don't go to that person by yourself. Mm -hmm. Take a person or two with you. Sure. Yeah, and it strikes me as, you know, we talk a lot about how um, we we shouldn't live by our feelings. We shouldn't be ruled by our feelings. But there are times when feelings can be a good thermometer. So if you're in a, Absolutely. you know, I, I say this, you know, and I know other uh, more experienced and, and qualified women than me have said this to women of just, there's a reason why you might have a creepy vibe. And don't ignore that. And don't shut yourself down. Start asking questions. Get, you know, again, like you said, this isn't the time for personal confrontation and a power differential. But if something just seems off, or even in a, um, you know, if if you're experiencing a leader who has that totalitarian approach, and I am not to be questioned, you know, that's a red flag as well. Um, You know, servant leadership is servant leadership. And it's humble, and it takes in account. And it's, uh, you know, um, it is accountable to others. And so I think some of those initial feelings of just what's maybe off and what does not feel biblical here and what does not feel appropriate or or community driven this seems to be a unilateral decision making process i think would be great as you're alluding to rob to call into question maybe with some other leaders or other objective eyes on a situation yeah and you know you don't want to get really isolated in a situation because that's just going to further mm-hmm. the potential for abuse and trauma. But to your point, you know, when we have physical pain, we think, wow, I've got to take my hand off the hot stove. Mm -hmm. The pain is there as a warning Mm -hmm. and it creates a healthy reaction. Okay. Your feelings can be such a warning system. Now we want to be thoughtful as well. We're not going to be driven by our feelings, 
but let's be informed by them. Sure. So what, um, let's talk about that person that knows that this is their experience, either past or it's something present they're going through. What are some first steps for that individual for personal healing? Because they don't want to be trapped um, in this season, even in their own head or their own heart. Um, What does it look like for them to start saying, okay, I need to actually move in a direction of healing here? What are the steps they need to take? Well, you start thinking about safety, not escapism. Mm-hmm. but safety. And one of the great problems that you may have is your first inclination is to say, I'm done. Hmm. I'm never going back to that church. In fact, I'm never going to a church again. I mean, there was a time in my own marriage when I said to my wife, probably 15 years ago, maybe 20, I said, you know, that'd be longer than that, 25 years ago. I said, if we didn't have children, I think I'd be done with church. Hmm. It was coming out of a very wounded place. I'm not advocating that for anybody. But that, those were my feelings based on the experiences that I was having. And so one of the first things is to ask yourself, am I reacting or am I responding? My reaction is going to be my natural, flawed, sinful disposition that will only make it worse. That response is taking time to step back, pray, journal, consult a few people, maybe even have someone join you and go back and revisit that. Mm -hmm. If you're not getting resolution, if you can't get respect, if you can't get empathy, then you may have to start thinking about your boundaries. Mm -hmm. Maybe I go to a different class, a different equipping class, or maybe I go to a different service, or maybe if it's the same pastor, maybe I'm having to go to a different church. But we don't want people to just start church hopping because they're conflicts. You know, Christians can work through conflicts if everybody's getting on the same page with each other. What happens many times, however, is a person gets really burned and they go from church to church to church and they're carrying their trauma from church to church and it is escalating and they're having trauma repetitions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would imagine too that for someone that's in a place where they're like, yeah, this is threatening, this could rule my life if I don't address it, Going, finding a solid Christian counselor who specializes in specifically spiritual religious trauma would be a great step just to get, again, some objective eyes on the situation and, and some good counsel and, and direction moving forward. I think so, because that's going to be the person that is going to be outside that setting. They're going to be objective. They're going to have experience. They're going to also be duty-bound to be confidential. And so it's just really a win win situation for you to find that person. And of course, we have uh, our Christian counselors directory, our network. And so people can call 800-A-FAMILY. We can help them find someone in their community who can reach out and serve them. Yeah. And we will definitely provide all that info as well in our show notes. Um, Finally, Rob, just in the last minute or so that we have here, for that person who's like, this is my experience, whether you know it's recent past or further in the past or whatever, and they're just like exactly where you were you know, a couple decades ago, I don't even know if I'm meant for church. I don't even know if I yeah. can do this. I don't even know, why don't I just do Jesus and me? What's your encouragement to them to give church a chance and how can they go in with the, the most tools possible to make healthy community and find a good church that's gospel-driven that isn't going to be another toxic environment of of crazy that they certainly don't need at this point. Yeah. We need to keep in mind that Jesus gave his life for the church. And so let's be very careful talking poorly about the church. Let's not give up. And it's interesting, you know, so many times our wounds come from people and God often uses people in the future to bring healing to us. And so that community of that local church can be one of the best places in the world to recover. And there are churches that are talking about, we want to be safe for you. If you've had a bad church experience, we'll be, we'll be gentle. We'll be patient. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if the church never alludes to that, you may find it's not really a good place to, to go to. Mm-hmm. And some churches are just better than others at being a part of that, that rehabbing process And if you have that in your life, go to an elder or a deacon at a church and say, you know, I've got some experiences that make it difficult for me to be here. Hmm. And I would like to know kind of, is this going to be a safe place for me? Can you help? Yeah. 
Great advice. Well, folks, um, as Rob said, we want to make you aware, if you aren't already, of our Focus on the Family counseling team that can provide a complimentary consult for maybe something you've heard today and you're like, that could be me, or I'm a little afraid of the environment that I'm in currently with my church or a situation I'm in. Uh, As Rob said, the number 1-800, the letter A and the word family, 800-A-FAMILY, you can call and set up a free consultation. Just ask to speak to one of our counselors and someone will get back to you. Also, we want to make you aware of a book that we have uh, this week for a gift of any amount to Boundless. It is titled Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Suffering by the late Tim Keller. And uh, if you go to boundless.org, you can search for 808 this week's episode. Just click on the book cover. You give a gift to Boundless. We will send a copy of Tim Keller's book to you as our thank you for that. And so, um, Rob, thank you so much for joining us. It's been my joy. Thanks, Lisa. Well, all right. As we finish out the show, we open up our inbox where we answer one of your questions, as we have done for a long, long time now. And it's always fun to see what questions come through. So this is a relationships one, something that's right in our wheelhouse. And we have got the fantastic counselor, Carrie, here today. Carrie, so good to have you. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for being here. All right. Uh, I'm just going to put it out there. Our listener is asking, what do you do when you're in a serious relationship and you start to develop a crush on someone else? So this is probably one of the more complex questions I feel like I've gotten on the (laughs) podcast so far. Over the 4th of July, I had some 20-somethings all single in the car with me, and I asked them this question, Mm. and they were a little harsh in their response. So I'll probably be more gracious today than (laughs) than the peers of the listener might have been, but... And I think also you get a question like this, you want to know the backstory, and we don't have the ability right. to Not do that. Not a lot of detail. Yeah. Right. So without a backstory, let me say, I'll just try to be as broad as possible. I think I'm I'm kind of going on the angle of, I think this listener may be looking at a serious relationship different than an exclusive relationship. And I'll kind of say that out of the gate. A serious relationship is indicating that two people are moving towards marriage in a long-term commitment. They've communicated that, they're in agreement with that, and they're open about that, and they're moving towards that. doesn't necessarily mean you're engaged, but that's the end goal. If you're in a serious relationship, that means you're choosing to lay down um, any other relationship that you may be curious about, um, or how something looks, or how something might feel with someone else. Um, When you're dating, and especially even in the early stages of marriage, and I think you guys have talked about this on the podcast too, you find that it's unlikely that you just all of a sudden stop noticing attractive people or other relationships and that kind of thing. It's kind of a a leap to go from being single and that being on your radar and you looking around to being married and, you know, all of a sudden you you don't just stop looking around. Mm -hmm. Um, It's sort of something you have to discipline yourself and something to lay down for. But I think the difference is if you're longing to be in a relationship with someone else. I think that's a feeling... Uh, you really need to pay attention to because it could be an indication that you may not be in a serious relationship after all, you may not be ready for a serious relationship, or there could be something really missing um, in the relationship that you're in that I think you would need to pay attention to. So maybe that would be um, that you feel that you're not actually that compatible with the person that you're in a relationship with. Um, Maybe you're trying to make something work, but you feel like you're, you know, a round peg in a square hole. And you're afraid to let the relationship go because you're afraid to be alone. You know, again, we don't get the backstory. We don't get the rest of the information around that. But if you're holding on to your current relationship while you're looking around for someone better, and I use that term loosely, um, you need to really pay attention to that. 
The other thing is, I think that maybe sometimes people feel that they should commit to the relationship because they feel that it's the right thing to do and they've been dating a certain amount of time. But, you know, we've talked about this on a, a podcast earlier. Most of us don't marry the first, second, third, or fourth person that we date. And so we learn a lot about ourselves. We learn about what we can compromise on through the process of dating. And so there may come a point in time where you realize that you're not necessarily as compatible as you were after all. Either way, you know, no matter what the reason, I want to say that jumping ship and jumping into another relationship right away is a very bad idea. Mm -hmm. And it's a bad foundation for the next relationship. I think the listener uh, or any listener facing this kind of a situation should really allow themselves some time, and I would say time being defined as months, not weeks, to better understand themselves, um, what's happening or what happened in the previous or current relationship if they haven't ended the relationship, what might have been missing, I think is something very important that they really need to dig into. Uh, But additionally, look into themselves and really think about whether or not they were even ready for a serious relationship to begin with. Yeah. I think it's so important that you make the distinctive of like, yeah, it doesn't mean that just because you're in a serious relationship, all of a sudden, you're never going to be attracted to anyone else. Mm -hmm. Because we know from talking to married people that Mm -hmm. that's just not the case. And Mm -hmm. so there is a discipline aspect to it. Now, when a person's dating, you know, it still kind of is open season, you can end a relationship, you can move on, whatever. But I like how you distinguished, especially because the listener asked, about a crush, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, crushes come and go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you right. don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You want to be right. uh, in serious thought and prayer about this of like, yeah, what is this? Because this could be something that you um, you deep six a relationship for, and then you find out this crush lasts a few weeks and you're done. Right. And so thinking, right. thinking about the future is so helpful. So mm-hmm. thanks for weighing in with Correct. that. I really appreciate it. Well, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. And uh, as always, we love hearing from you. I want Want to remind you that we are currently asking you to send in a short testimonial video of yourself. Just throw your phone in front of your face and tell us what Boundless has meant to you. We want to use these going into our 25th anniversary, which is coming up now in September, and we're super excited about that. So we want to collectively hear from the fans, hear from all of you, and I'm asking you personally to do this and DM it to us on social, or you can email it to us at editor at boundless.org so we can get a collective of these and probably use it at some point in the future on social and beyond. So send those in. Uh, again, it just has to be short, super cash. I'm, uh, I will be around next week for you. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.